0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. We often think of the, the Beatitudes, the blessings that... Jesus talks about there in, in chapter 5 at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount as kind of individual, as reassurances. Um, and, and frankly, in, in my own life and study of the Scriptures, I, I really kind of saw the Beatitudes in this, in this way. But what I have found over the years is that Jesus is giving us a step-by-step process of building our faith of becoming a fully developing disciple of Jesus Christ not that we ever fully develop but fully developing and growing in Christ and so that will be our that will be our goal as we move through these is to see how each of the beatitudes build upon one upon another as as building blocks of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ today we're going to deal with the first two blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. And you may find, in, in terms of blessed are those who mourn, that that blessing may mean a little different than what we have, what we're accustomed to understanding from this beatitude. But what I what I want to do is to take a look at each of these: blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Look at them individually, what they have to say to us about the condition of our heart. What is the condition of our heart? Because each of these have to do with humility. They have to do with our relationship with God, our humility before God, and our humility before each other. And then to offer to you three benefits for living a uh, a life of humility and and what that can bring to us, not just uh, uh, in terms of our relationship with God, but and our relationship with others, but how we truly are blessed and we benefit by by living the way that God would have us and made us to live. So let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in Your sight, our strength, our Redeemer. May these words be Your words. And Lord, in these moments, we offer ourselves to You. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would rest upon us, inspire us, move us, give us wisdom. I pray, O oh God, for all of those that are not here this morning, um, those who are traveling and still out of school. I pray, Lord, for those who um, who are sick or alone this morning, I pray that You would make us instruments, that You would make us instruments by, by the, the Word that You have put before us this morning that we may be your messengers, your workers in your kingdom. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. First day of class, little boy uh, sitting in class, the teacher asked the question, where is your heart? Oh, and he got his hand going. I'm probably about like your grandson. I've met your grandson. He was probably one, be waving his hand. And so the teacher said, oh, okay, uh, Where's your heart? And he said, I'm sitting on it. Well, the teacher wasn't really sure if she wanted to follow that, uh, that thought. But she decided, okay, you're sitting on it. Why do you think you're sitting on your heart? And he said, well, every time my grandmother says, bless your heart, she pats me on the behind. <laughs> so that's where my heart is. Where is your heart? What is the condition of your heart? Psychology today asks 52,000 Americans what would make them happy. They get a variety of answers all over the map. Uh, They range from more friends, better social life, a better job, to find love, uh, to receive recognition, to be successful. Uh, to get more attractive. I don't know how you do that, but, but that was in there. But some wanted to live in the city, some wanted to live in the country, um, better in terms of their faith and religion, recreation, parenting, children, marriage. And one, one of the most popular ones was their partner's, uh, partner's happiness, which I found to be rather interesting. Um, that if my partner's happy, that makes me happy. But I guess that's probably true, you know. But that also indicated that that a lot of folks out there that have partners that are not happy, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, What this reveals, though, and Psychology Today made the point, is that we live in a world where happiness is defined by external circumstances. We play the... When this happens, then I'll be happy. When I get out of school, then I'll be happy. When I get a job, then I'll be happy. If I, When I get a new job, if I can get out of this old job, then I'll be happy. If I can just have children, then I'll be happy. If I uh, If I could just get married, then I'll be happy. If my kids would just get out of the house, then I would be happy. I think what Jesus is trying to teach us in the Beatitudes is that happiness is not about what's happening on the outside, it's about what's happening on the inside. That we are blessed by the condition of our heart. And when our heart is right, we see the world differently. We see the world with different eyes. So the Beatitudes are about the condition of the heart. From the very basics of the heart to the most complicated. So, as we move through this morning, I just want to ask you the question where is your heart? Is it in your wallet? Work? Is it connected to whether or not the Cowboys are going to win this afternoon or next week or the next week? Um, Family, vacation, or the condition of your family? All of these are important. But Jesus goes much deeper to the actual heart of the matter as he shares these blessings with his followers. Matthew starts this this part of his gospel with these words. He says, When he was seated, he opened his mouth. Now, that phrase in in, in the first century indicated that... um, That something important was coming. That that something that would change your life was, was coming. That something that you needed to listen to and take notes about. And so what Matthew is trying to tell us is that these words of Jesus will change your life. They will absolutely change your life. It is encouragement for the tough times. It is blessings for... The most difficult of times. It is the work of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to put up on the screen so it's a reminder: Beatitudes are blessing. Our blessings are steps toward a fully developing disciple of Jesus Christ. A fully developing. In each week, I want to hammer that home. We're going to build one upon another. And the reason for this is because the word blessing, the Greek word, mercario, is a word that doesn't just mean to be blessed, to make someone happy. It literally means to experience with the heart. And it means a heart that is full, well, holistic, and at peace. Full, well, holistic, and at peace. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I need that. I mean, if we all could wake up in the morning and know that the day that is coming to us is going to fill us, that it's going to provide peace, that we're going we're to feel connected to those around us, we would feel blessed, wouldn't we? And that's, I think, it's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus starts his teaching with an interesting phrase. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How in the world can the poor in spirit be blessed? I mean, isn't it a negative to be poor in spirit? Right? I mean, am I missing something here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What, but let's take a look at the Greek and how... How, what Jesus is saying here, the word that is translated poor, proctos, um, literally means completely lacking resource, to crouch or cower like a beggar, to be destitute. Blessed are those who are completely lacking in resources. Blessed are those who are destitute, who lie before the Lord in terms of their poverty of the Spirit. And here is the, here's what I think Jesus is trying to get at, is that only when we realize and admit our poverty of the Spirit, only when we admit that can we truly see God as God wants us to see God. In our need, in our poverty, then we look to God. And only then can we see a loving, grace-filled, ever-present God of all creation. In our need, in our admission of our need, in admission of our poverty, uh, our, our poor in spirit, do we open ourselves to God. It's at that point that we say, yes, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come into my heart. I need you. And I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit because it's the poor in spirit who see themselves as poor, who know of themselves as poor, who know their poverty of the spirit and therefore now are open to see what God can do with them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Greek word pneuma means spirit. It is that which is of God. Blessed are those who are lacking resources of the things of God, that which is the breath of God. It is the breath that was breathed into Adam in creation. It is the breath that makes us fully human. It is the breath that makes us a child of God. In other words, Jesus is speaking to the times in our lives when we realize that we have a deep need for God that is lacking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who see their spiritual need. Blessed are those who realize their need for God. And when we do, there is a promise. The promise is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the presence of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven in this particular context means. Blessed blessed are those who are poor in spirit... For they shall be one with God. They shall find God. They shall experience God. But it's only when we are willing to admit that poverty that we receive the promise. In the first beatitude, Jesus points to what happens when we admit our need for God. For those who admit their spiritual poverty poverty and need for God are given eyes to see and claim the things of God. Now, with that in mind, the second beatitude has to do with our relationship with others. Now, we look at it, blessed are those who mourn, we think, how does that have to do with others? I mean, I'm the one that's mourning. I'm the one that has suffered the loss. I'm the one that has that is, that is in grief. What does it have to do with my relationship with others? It's because we've misunderstood the word mourn. In the Greek, the word mourn, which is pentheo, means... Not just to show grief, it is to show regret. It is to feel a heavy regret over what I have done. I regret the words that I have spoken to those people that I love. I regret the the actions that I have taken that have hurt another person. I regret that which I have done to create chaos in my life. That's the grief that Jesus is speaking of here. And he says, blessed are those who mourn because (laughs) in order to mourn, we have to realize what we have done. Right? And so in the realization of what we have done, we we confess our grief, our regret, and the promise is... They shall be comforted. And what's interesting here is that the word comforted is the same root word that is used in the Gospel of John to describe the paraclete, the Spirit of God. For they shall be comforted. For they shall be given the Spirit of God. For they shall be given the presence of God. For they shall be given the forgiveness of God. It is all inherent within that word, the paraclete, The pantheos, it's it's inherent within that Greek word that we shall be made whole when we admit what we've done. It fully means to come alongside, to know personally, to have evidence, to prove innocence. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our discipleship starts with the condition of the heart. The condition of the heart that is right with God and right with others. So where is your heart? Better yet, is your heart ready to be filled? Is your heart ready to be healed? Or maybe Jesus is saying, in other words, Are we ready to really live as God intended us to live? I think Jesus begins the Beatitudes with these Beatitudes that that insinuate and, and encourage humility because humility is the foundation for all of our graces. We cannot receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ without humility, without admitting our need. We cannot receive um, what God has for us until we surrender our pride. We cannot enter the kingdom until we're willing to bow, to go before the door that is low. We cannot be filled until we are empty. We cannot be made worthy until we recognize our unworthiness. We cannot live until we admit that we are dead. You might as well expect fruit to grow without a tree, than to expect the discipleship of Jesus to grow without humility. For we cannot begin a life with Christ unless we give up our pride. So, what are the benefits of humility? Is it um, does it have any residual benefits? Certainly, to receive the power of God, the presence of God, to know that our relationships are going to be better is enough, but we actually know scientifically and health-wise that there are other benefits. The heart of humility reduces stress, lowers blood pressure. (laughs) Did you know that? I was reading and I thought, what? You mean I don't need to take a pill anymore? (laughs) Well, maybe not quite that far yet. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5 5 and 6. He says, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. When we humble ourselves, all pride goes out the window, as well as stress. For when we give up our pride, When we accept humility, we admit that we don't have all the answers. We don't have to fix everything that comes our way. That we can ask for help and we can depend on others. That we are literally family together as God's people. Second, the heart of humility improves relationships. And, you know, I want to go, duh, I mean, it's in humility that we're able to connect to each other. It's in humility that we're able to, to find each other. Paul says in Second Corinthians 12, 21, When I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented. Now, Paul is writing to a church <clears throat> that is torn apart because the... They were arguing about who was the most important in the church. Who had the best spiritual gift? Who had the most money? Who, had, uh, who was supposed to sit on the front row? We don't have that problem here. Um, and, they were, and, the, and the church was absolutely divided. And so Paul has a choice. He can either go into the church and rebuke them, okay or he can go into the church and love them. And so that's what Paul decides to do. What he tells us in 2 Corinthians is that he makes the decision to go in there with humility and with love and with grace to model before them the behavior that God is requiring of them, to put aside their pride, uh, to put aside that which is dividing, and and that... And take upon the yoke of servanthood rather than being served. And third, humility, a heart of humility releases God's power. In James chapter 4 verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What the Apostle James is saying is that when we bow down before the Lord and admit our dependence, we are connected with God's strength to make it through the day. We are connected with God's power that, uh, that can get us through any situation. The secret of spiritual power is to walk humbly. To realize that our lives are dependent upon God and not upon ourselves. And I'm going to put this on the screen. And I'm going to, I'm going to put it in my pastor's article. Um, I, I found this, and I, I just think it speaks... To the heart of these two Beatitudes. The secret to happiness is humility. The secret to independence is dependence upon God. The secret to strength is admitting weakness. The secret to power is admitting we are helpless. The secret to victory is complete surrender to God. It is a dichotomy, a contradiction to what the world tries to teach us about life. And yet when we get on board with what God wants, we find true happiness and true fulfillment. Discipleship begins in humility. And as we come to the table of the Lord, I want you to be asking these questions. Where do we need to show humility in our lives? Work? School? Our marriage, parenting, our church? Where is pride getting in the way of connecting with God and others? And where do we need to seek forgiveness? All that God has to offer is available when we live in total dependence upon Him. And when we live in total dependence upon Him... We can say with confidence, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and apart from God, I can do nothing. When our heart is changed, anything is possible. Only then can God begin to do God's work. It is for this reason that I believe that Jesus... um, did the Last Supper. I mean, um, <clears throat> certainly He wanted to prepare His disciples for what was coming. But I also think that Jesus knew that in the commandment, do this as often as you gather together, that He knew that it would be passed from one generation to another. And that as each generation broke the bread and best the cup, and as we regularly partake, partake of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would remember What it means to follow Jesus. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What it means to offer ourselves in total obedience to Jesus. And for this reason, after the Passover meal, which is a, a meal of deliverance, Jesus moves to a meal of total obedience and commitment. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. That we might be made whole. That we may be made uh, right with God. God that we would know that this life is not all there is, but there is so much more both to this life and to the life to come. Take and eat, take and drink in remembrance. Let's pray. Almighty God, pour out Your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by His blood.